monster, a creature with such horrific features, a lady, a bride, and scary movie fan, some nerds and their website present this woman and her man. Hello and welcome to the Bride of the Creature podcast. I am the creature, Joey G., and joining me, as always, is the cutest podcaster in town, Nicole G. The Bride. Hello. What's funny? You said that funny. Oh, I'm so sorry. How are you, love? I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. We were just having a discussion wherein you claim that you would be uh, Velma if I was Freddy on Scooby-Doo. First of all, I wouldn't be Freddy. Freddy's lame. Well, I said ready, Freddy, because so, I was ready to record. Right. And that makes you Freddy. So well, Why would I be Freddy from Scooby-Doo? Because I said ready, Freddy. And they say Ready Freddy in crazy little thing called Love by Queen, and they're not talking about Scooby Doo there. They're talking about Freddie Mercury. I'm always talking about Scooby Doo. <clears throat> I've seen more Scooby Doo. Anyway, you. I'm I'm totally more Velma than Daphne. No, you're not. Yes. No, you're not. I'm so dorky. Ye- no, you're not. You like to think that. I just don't have glasses. You don't have glasses. No matter how much I lie you're not like about this. my eyes, I don't <coughs> get glasses. You don't have glasses. You're not like. Interested in literature? Culture. I am. You, I am. You watch reality I went to, TV. I went to a museum on the weekend. You watch reality TV. You read, you've read both of Kendra Wilkinson's autobiographies. Yeah, I've also read Dickens. You didn't get. Fi- you didn't finish Dickens. You started a Dickens book. <laughs> I did. I got halfway through. Which is, I mean, good for you, but I wouldn't be blowing your horn too hard. See, hard-based. Daphne. Uh, yeah, Daphne wouldn't even try to read Dickens. She would to impress everybody else. No, she wouldn't. You're being really rude about Daphne. I think Daphne's actually a pretty hip lady. And she's, she deserves more credit than you're giving. She her. does nothing on the show. Velma figures things out. Velma doesn't figure shit out. Nobody figures it out. They just happen to stumble into shit. <laughs> and then she goes, Jinkies. Like, shut the fuck up, Daphne. <laughs> and Velma. You know what? All of them. Fuck all y'all, mystery machine motherfuckers. You look good with a handkerchief around your neck. An ascot? <laughs> with your beard? You look super gay. <laughs> a gay pirate. Freddy doesn't look gay. He's totally gay. Freddy's nailing Daphne. You just, in the back of a mystery he machine. He just wants you to think that. No, no, man. He's fucking... I mean, I'm pretty sure Shaggy's fucking Scooby. No, that's bestiality. Well, he can, t- but Scooby can talk, kind of. Yeah. It's more like having sex with like a really retarded. No, they're d- it's not gay if you're best friends. Well, that's true. That's what I was told. <laughs> yeah, by your best friend. <laughs> I'm your best friend. Aww. So it's it's not gay though. <laughs> you're not really my best friend. Oh well, I I'm not really. Uh, I wasn't really sex we had either. <laughs> And I'm not really Nicole, I'm Zip. Oh my god, it's Mr. Dilly Dally from the Doll Factory. And now you say, I would have gotten away with it too. Come on, follow my scooby oh, yeah. line, right? I thought you were referencing something else way more obscure. I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids. But we were here, so fuck you. Anyway, today on the show, we, uh, <laughs> we're going to take a look at the first film from one of my favorite filmmakers, Nicole. He's one of my favorites, too. Really? Have you seen most of his movies? I've seen a handful. All you need is a handful. Yeah. <laughs> that's what people used to say about boobs. All you oh. need is a handful. No, that's not what I was talking about. <laughs> no. Which ones have you seen? Okay, the filmmaker is Guillermo del Toro. I think we're going way off topic here. 
Why? By talking about other films by the filmmakers? Hellboy. Hellboy 1 and 2. You've seen 2? Yeah, I've seen 2. I saw them in theaters with you. And I loved them. And I saw Penn's Labyrinth. And I loved it. When we saw Hellboy 2, you hassled me because you said you didn't like it. You must have been just busting my balls then. I really liked it. I'm glad, but that's not what you told me at the time. You're such a hosehead. Um. (gasps) There's a fly in here. Focus, dude. Focus. I hate it. Focus! Kill it. No! Can you focus on the podcast, please? Okay, I've seen Hellboy 1 and 2, Pan's Labyrinth. Okay. Um, and now Kronos. Kronos. I read The Strain. You have read The Strain, that's true. He's that's true. Anyway, the point is we watched Kronos today. What else has he made? I made Blade 2, he made Mimic, he made Pacific Rim. I saw Blade 2. Blade 2 is the best one. And I feel like there's more. I just Devil's Backbone. I yeah. have not seen Devil's Backbone. That's the thing. You, you, when we watch it, eventually you're going to be like, oh, I have seen this. Because I watched it with you at my parents' house when I first bought it on DVD. No, I, we did not. <sighs> we did, but whatever. Anyway, this week we watched Kronos. So you guys get to listen to the trailer, which I think is completely instrumental. So at least you get to listen to some nice music. So yes, that was an instrumental trailer. There's no words in that trailer. But I hope you enjoyed the music. Yay, music. The music in the movie was good. Yeah, it was good. I, I noticed it when we were watching it. <laughs> I noticed that there was music No, in but you know movie. what I mean? Like sometimes when you watch a movie... sometimes I watch a movie and someone says, Did you hear the music? And you go, There was music? No, I'm not explaining myself <laughs> no, to you. Do. Please, please. If you don't, then... Sometimes music you don't notice in the movie. It's yeah, just there as background. This... I, I noticed it stuck out. It was really good. But it didn't detract. It didn't stick out in a way that detracted from the movie. I think if your music sticks out in a way that it distracts from the movie, then that is not good. Yeah. Anyway, it was by... We should mention the music was by Javier Alvarez. Sorry, I had a salmon burger for dinner. And I'm Ew. Getting some... It's all up. It's right... You know, it's... I know it's that feeling. Up. Yeah, yeah, Go I know. with it. Yeah, I know. So anyway, this movie uh, was made in 1993, directed by Guillermo del Toro, and starring Federico Lupi, who was our main character. Please don't spit ice into it. That's so gross. Uh, Ron Perlman was in it. Claudio Brook, Margarita Isabel, and Tamara Shanath. 
And of course, this was the first film that Del Toro shot with his cinematographer partner, Guillermo Navarro, who shot most of his films. Isn't that interesting? Shall I give you a bit of a rundown of what it's all about? Yes. Okay, so it starts off, uh, we get a little brief introduction in the year 1536, where an an alchemist has developed a mechanism that can grant eternal life. What's an alchemist? Alchemy is not a real thing, but it was a thing that was believed that by manipulating things like chemicals and whatnot, you could um, turn things into gold, basically. Or it's like the synthesis of one substance into another. It's fiction, but people tried to do it for a long time, but there's no such thing as alchemy. You can't turn something into something else. But, but they tried. They did try. And in this movie, he succeeded. Them. He creates a device that can grant eternal life. And in 1937, a building collapses on him and um, he's killed, this alchemist. Uh, and then we flash forward to the present, where uh, Jesus Gris is an antique dealer who uh, sells antiques and whatnot. And, and he, finds he always an brings statue. his little granddaughter. Yeah, his th- granddaughter Aurora. lives with him and his, and his wife. And uh, there is. A rich the industrialist character, Dieter, uh, who's been searching for this de- the device that the alchemist created in the beginning for many, many years. And he, according to his notes, uh, the device is hidden within one of these archangel statues. And so he has bought many, many, many of these archangels already from Jesus de Greece as well. And he always sends his, his thuggish nephew, Angel... Uh, to collect these uh, archangels. Who and plays Hellboy? Ron Perlman. He's really good in this movie, and he has this great little bit with. Uh, he's trying to get. He wants to get a nose job, and so he has these cards to like. Hold they to hold them up to his nose to see if the different nose styles. Yeah, they like cut out little cards, like indents. Yeah, it's just a fun little bit of business for him. Yeah. Like when he's in his room at one point. He's listening to like plastic surgery and U tape, and it's pretty funny. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, Jesus discovers the archangel that has the Kronos device in it and discovers the Kronos device and, and then sells the archangel to uh, Angel and Dieter but keeps the Kronos device and uh, you know while fiddling around with it kind of discovers how to activate it although he doesn't really understand what it is uh, and it you know punctures him basically and does what it does which uh, basically it starts to make him look a bit younger uh, he starts to have some sensitivity to light and to kind of be thirsty and and lust after blood. So while they never say it in the movie, we as the audience recognize that he's showing the classic signs of turning into a vampire. Yes. I love that they never mention that that's what it is in this movie. They don't have the annoying scene where they have to sit down and go, Oh my god, it's like vampirism. He's turning into a vampire. They realize we all know what a vampire is. We all know what vampires do. We don't need to fucking talk about it. They never say vampire in the movie. And you never really understand exactly how the device works. No, Only that somehow yeah. it turns you into a That You do find creature. out that there's a bug in the device that is yeah. has a stinger of some kind that helps puncture through yeah, the metal. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, or the Kronos. Yeah, the Kronos device. So... Uh, we're going to have to spoil a little bit because it kind of goes on after he's... The device starts to become a bit of an obsession for him, you know, like you... Like a drug, like a yeah, drug addict. Yeah, it's kind of like it's addicting is what it is, yeah. you know? Uh, and it makes the, him feel good. Yeah, it makes him feel good because he feels younger, he feels stronger. Uh, he's noticing some things like this blood thirst. And it's, it's not the kind of vampire where you become this, like, strong, handsome, virile specimen of a man, right? He, it's really kind of pathetic what happens to this character. Yeah, you know, it's not even like he's lasting... 
over people's necks or jugulars like no. a typical more vampire story. It's like just dirty, blood. like blood on the bathroom floor, yeah, licking up, the licking it up. Exactly. So at some point in the movie, uh, Dieter sends Angel to retrieve the Kronos device from uh, Jesus, and he ends up killing him, beating him just bloody. Angel kills. Angel kills Jesus, Jesus. exactly. Uh, and three days later, Jesus returns to life. And uh, while everyone thinks his body's been cremated, he actually escaped and is sort of loose on the streets, but he's decaying, basically. Like and his, his granddaughter helps him. Yeah, his granddaughter finds him, and they kind of team up, and he wants to try and find out what's happening to him. So he goes to Dieter to learn more about the Kronos device, and that's basically what the movie's about. You know, it, it's, it's not a very complicated story. Jesus finds the device, it does what it does to him, and then he goes about trying to figure out what's happened to him and how to stop it. Nicole, did you like Kronos? I did like Kronos a lot, actually. It was really good, wasn't it? More than I thought I would, um, because it was a bit, at the beginning at least, a bit slower paced or deliberately paced, as you would say. (laughs) Um, I didn't actually find it slow, but that's... I found it a little bit slow, but it... It was just like a really good story, almost told like a fairy tale, which um, Del Toro is amazing at doing. It it definitely has a lot of these uh, fairy tale like feelings to it, with the with the relationship of the granddaughter and Jesus, and and just like the settings too, like the set design. Yeah, it's beautiful looking, like inside the antique shop and inside the industrialist factory. Like they all look kind of like out of a storybook. Nothing really feels that real. Real, yeah. Which I really, really liked. And I just love the character Jesus and yeah. his his relationship with his granddaughter Aurora was was the one of the most charming things I thought. I, thought I really it was great, yeah. really enjoyed watching their relationship. And mm-hmm. Aurora doesn't say much in the whole movie. She was she says one word in the entire movie. One word. What was it? Grandfather. At the oh. very end, it's the only word she says in the whole movie. I didn't even realize that she's she's such a strong character on her own. She's you great. don't even realize she didn't. I didn't. That she didn't say anything. Yeah. Uh, I think, like, this is... If I didn't know any better, I would never have guessed this was his first film. Because it's so well realized. Like, there's so much attention to detail in so many places. Like, the writing is fairly strong. The characters are really well... Even, like, little bit part characters. Characters who aren't really important are really well realized. Like, the the mortician who works at the at the morgue and who does the cremation and whatnot, he has this... You, you feel like you know this character so well for, like, the five minutes he's on screen. Yeah, and where like he's doing his his little routine to get the body ready for the funeral. Even the set design was really well realized in a way that I didn't notice it at first, like the the effect it had on me. But the scene in the bathroom when he's looking mm-hmm. it up off the floor, everything in the bathroom is designed black and white. There's black and white tile. The stall oh. doors are black. It's very and you just see the he wanted the focus little. to be this bright red spot on the ground and it was super effective and I didn't even realize it was doing that well and that was something that I didn't necessarily notice this first time through but I can see why it was so effective but in listening to the one of the interviews with Del Toro in the in special features on our DVD he talks about how like the color palettes for these it was very carefully chosen there is no red the only red in the movie is the blood Mm -hmm. and that's it and he, yeah, he talks about um, everything steel gray using the, the the cool tones yeah. purposefully in the movie, and it's it liked. I really liked hearing him talk about it because that's how 
I think about a painting I'm doing. Like everything yeah. is that well realized in something I paint. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I say I, I wouldn't have guessed that it was his first film if I didn't know, because it feels so accomplished and so professional and so well realized. Nothing is by accident, and mm-hmm. everything is just really well done. The acting I thought was great. Ron Perlman plays such a good villain. You know, yeah. like he's a fun little character, but he's like the, the the real villain, I guess, is Dieter. But Angel is like the thug. Yeah. You know? And then he becomes the boogeyman of sorts that has the final conflict with Jesus at the end, which I thought was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really and one of my favorite lines, uh, which I mean, I guess is a little bit of a spoiler, but it comes towards the end when he's fighting with Angel, and uh, Jesus has sort of figured out more or less what's happened to him. And how uh, he's a vampire now, basically, and he can't die. And there are he can be killed, but it's not easy. And the best part, though, is uh, when he basically says the line like, uh, "I hope you're." Right. It's just for me, it's just pain. You have more to lose than I do. For me, it's just more pain. And then he there's this thing that happens. It's such a great line because it's just like, "Yeah, it's gonna fucking hurt, but I can't die, and you can." Yeah. It's like, oh, that was such a cool line. It was really good. Do you have anything else that you um, wanted to mention? I yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Aurora, the character, because yeah. I work with children. I just noticed that it, I think it spoke to the resili- resiliency of children because um, mm-hmm. she sees her grandfather go through some horrible things with this device attached to him. Kind of, it hurts him as he's you know almost taking this drug of sorts. Yeah, she can see that it's not good for him even if he yeah, tells her and, what it is. Yeah, and but and even as he becomes more terrifying looking, she just helps him yep. and loves him no matter what. And it just I loved that. I thought that was really well done too, yeah. That relationship there is really really good. The only if I had to pick a flaw of the movie, I would say that um the woman who plays Mercedes, his Jesus's wife. Yeah. I didn't really care for her. I didn't it didn't feel like she was really in the same movie as everybody else. She was a weak character. I mean, I don't think the character is that weak. I just, I didn't think I liked her performance very much. It felt no? very stiff and like she wasn't in the same movie. Like everybody else has this very fairy tale sort of heightened quality about them. You know, where she. I she's, think she did, uh, though, a little bit. Maybe it was just the way she looked. She looked like from a fairy tale. She had kind of that crazy hair and these big eyes and. Um, I don't maybe. know. I mean, I think that. I thought she fit the movie. Yeah, I just didn't think she, she was just any wasn't good. in it very much she didn't have no, much. I didn't when think she, she was she didn't do. do anything in the movie like when she was on the screen you were never like interested in what she was saying I never felt any sense of loss from her or from him that he wasn't with his wife like it was just like she was such a non-entity that I was you were only really interested in in him and Aurora I just didn't find her in anything really she has a couple of moments where she could have done something like when he shaves his mustache and tries to be look, look younger and act more younger and all that she doesn't really react at all and then she kind of laughs but it's like it's just such a weird performance that she doesn't really give anything and the, what she does give doesn't make any sense I don't know if it's the performance or the lines No, her, I, don't, I don't think it's her lines because every other character is written really well and I think that there was a lot of interesting like she could have shown some kind of concern or at least surprise or like but may, I think maybe even that was deliberate because it wasn't really about his relationship with her. It was about his relationship with the granddaughter. Right, but they could still show that she had a relationship with him. Like when he comes out and does this, that scene is supposed to be like the beginning of there's a change happening in him. And she doesn't react to it at all. She just gives you nothing. 
Well, maybe that's like part of the reason he's attracted to this device that makes him feel good because he doesn't get that feeling from her anymore. Maybe. And if, but if that's the case, the movie doesn't say that. The movie does not show us that at all. Maybe. Anyway, I, I, it sounds like her performance didn't bother you. Uh, I didn't think it was very good. So, overall then, uh, anything else you want to mention about Kronos? No. No? You're, you're happy? Did um, Dr. do Mama? No, he produced Mama. Oh, okay, I couldn't remember. No, he pr- he's produced a lot of movies that he didn't direct. Yeah. Some that I've liked, some that I haven't. He produced um, Splice. Oh, what else has he done that you've seen that I haven't? Uh, his late ones he's directed? He's yeah. directed nine movies, I think. Uh, so there was there's Kronos, there's Mimic, there is... You um, saw Mimic? Yeah, Blade 2, I've seen all those movies. Blade 2, Hellboy 1 and 2, Pan's Labyrinth, Devil's Backbone, Pacific Rim. Um, and I don't know, maybe there's only eight then. I want to see Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim is great. It's really, really good. But anyway, yeah, so do you want to say what you give this movie out of ten? I give it an eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. What do and you give it? I give it ten out of ten. It's a fucking, Just because it's a of its, it's deliberately pacedness. I honestly, I I know what I mean when I say deliberately paced, and I know what you mean when you say it. I don't think this movie is that. I don't think anybody could chew into this thinking it's slow. Like it's short. First of all, it's ninety minutes, and uh, it gets right into it in the first like fifteen minutes. The Chronos device has already got him. Like it starts really fast, and it starts off with that whole intro with the alchemist. Like it's not slow or boring at all. Just a little bit. Okay, well, different strokes. Um, so yeah, I gave it a ten. This is, I think, his his first of several masterpieces. And you give it an eight? Uh, yeah, I give it an eight. Right on. Just because of its pace at the beginning, but it really picks up after a while, mm-hmm. especially after the New Year's party. That's like halfway through the movie. Yeah. I have a mustache here in my mouth. Ew. Imagine how I feel. <laughs> Well, anyway, let's move on then to everybody's favorite part of the show, or at least mine, the True Story Game. And we're doing it only three. Yes, we only have three movies this time because it's too hard for Nicole. No, because then you save some movies for the next time. That's why. It's because it's too hard for Nicole. So anyway, for those of you who don't know, I'm going to tell you three movies. They're not all horror movies. Some of them are, some of them aren't. And they're all weird. And you have to use your skill and judgment to determine which of the films is a big fat phony. Right. Nicole, are you ready to play The Following is Based on a True Story? I'm so ready. All right, Nicole, here we go. Film number one. 200 motels. Touring makes you crazy, the director says, explaining that the idea for this film came to him while touring with his avant-garde rock group. The story, interspersed with performances by the band and the Royal Symphony Orchestra, is a tale of life on the road. I've seen this movie The film you. deals loosely with life on the road. Oh, have you? Oh. When? A long time ago. Oh, I wasn't sure if you'd actually seen The it. Mothers. Yeah, it's Frank Zappa. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I forgot that you'd seen 200 Motels. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. It's weird. It's really good. Well, shit. We have a 50-50 chance this week. If you don't get this one right this week, then you are forever branded as the Scarlet S for stupid. You're so mean to me. I'm not <laughs> playing this game with you if you're going to yes, call you me are. stupid. No, I didn't call you stupid. I said you might be stupid. <laughs> you're going to brand me with an R. That's Only what you said. if you are wrong. If you're right, I won't. <laughs> if you're not stupid, you won't get branded. Just don't be stupid. Keep going. Film number two. 
Fear of the Dark. A small boy's Fear parents of won't... the Dark. Yes, it's an Iron Maiden song. Fear Good for you. Of the dark. Fear of the Dark. A small I boy's... have a constant Shut the fear oh. that something's I'm going to break this near. tiny glass Coke bottle <laughs> over your head. It would be the most... Do you hear that? He's threatened me physically twice in the last two minutes. Everyone listening is on my side. <laughs> okay, Fear of the Dark. Fear of the Dark. Button. A small boy's parents won't pay attention to his complaints of the monsters hiding in the dark of his bedroom. Oh, dear. Are his fears simple childhood fantasy, or are they rooted in something more horrific? Oh, dear. Oh, dear, indeed. Poor little boy. Film number three. Angel's Egg. A mysterious young girl with a large egg and a soldier meet and reveal uncomfortable occult secrets to one another in a lonely, beautiful, surreal landscape populated only by restless shadows in an abandoned, gothic, Victorian town. What's it called? Angel's Egg. Egg? Egg! (laughs) A mysterious young girl with a large egg. She's got a fucking egg. That's why it's called Angel's Egg. Alright. Because she's walking around with an egg. It's like a surreal thing. Okay. Melting clocks you're okay with, but as soon as a girl's got an egg, whoa, no. You're getting good at your explanations. Thank you. Does that mean you think I wrote that one? (laughs) No, I just don't know now. Fear of the Dark or Angel's Egg? It's a fucking coin toss. Fear of the Dark is the fake. Is that your final answer? You don't even want to fucking think about it or talk about it? Kill it. Angel's Egg. Angel's Egg is like the surrealist landscape. With the soldier and the young girl with a large egg <laughs> in a land populated by shadows in a gothic town. Fear of the Dark is the fake. Fear of the Dark, the small boy's parents who won't pay attention to yep. his complaints of the monsters hiding in the dark. Yep. Final answer? Final answer. Nicole, 200 Motels. I know, it's a, a real, real movie, movie that we watched together a long time ago. Right, well, that just makes up for all the fucking movies that I've watched with you that you say, I've never seen yet. That's how we make up for this. Because you, I, I didn't remember watching a movie with you once. All right, Fear of the Dark is a real fake movie. <laughs> it's a fake movie. I, I made up Fear of the Dark. Yes, Angel's Egg is a real movie. If you had never seen Two Hundred Motels, this would have been harder. You've seen Two Hundred Motels. Yes, Two Hundred Motels does sound like your absurdist mind. Yeah, Joey. see, that's the problem with doing with making you watch so many movies with me. Is it after a certain point you've seen a lot of movies? And we've been together since we were 14. I know. You'd think you'd be better at this game. <laughs> but you did win this week. Congratulations. Yes, Your first week ever on the easy difficulty setting you won. So <laughs> It's not... It's not... No, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's easier. So. It's easier. <laughs> but you did win. Such so a horse's good ass. job on that. I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of me too. I pat myself on the back. Yeah? Yep. Right on. <laughs> well, Nicole, all that's left for you to do is to tell us what we're watching next week. Introduce the concept of October to the people. All right. We are very excited for Halloween because um, we love Halloween. And Halloween is my last day of work this year before I go on mat leave. So I'm extra excited. I'm going to try to push that baby so out. So fucking topic. I'm going to push that baby out on October off 31st. topic. Anyway. The whole month of October, all the horror movies we will be watching are related to Halloween. In some way. It's not that high concept. And this is going to be the loosest definition possible because I don't want to just watch fucking Halloween We're not sequels. just watching Halloween. We might watch one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> I might find like some way to somehow tangentially say, oh, yeah, no, this is related to Halloween. Yeah, we'll, we'll play it by year. So it's my pick first for October. Yeah, and you fucking told me the wrong year, by the way. <laughs> 
You told me it came out in 2009. You're That's wrong. That's what it says in this book. Okay, well, that book is wrong. Well, maybe you, what you're looking at is wrong. It's the same fucking po- okay, po- It's the <laughs> same poster. 2007. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah. You know what it is? Oh, I, this is the U.S. DVD premiere release yeah, in this book. DVD. I seem to remember this movie, like, taking a long time to come out on DVD. Like, it was lost in the well, fucking... Well, can, can I just introduce the movie first? If you must. All right. Um... It's called Trick or Treat. Came out in 07, apparently. Yeah, but it also... It has a very complicated release schedule. And it came out... Or it was written and directed by Michael Doherty. Correct. Produced by Brian Singer. Brian Brian Singer directed the two good X-Men movies. He directed The Usual Suspects. Valkyrie. Um, This one is uh, about four... Kind of has four different short stories... In this, they all take place on Halloween. Um, the first one, I guess, is about a woman who blows out her Halloween candle before Halloween ends. Um, uh, the next one's a school principal who murders children with candy. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one's a group of kids venturing to the site of a bus accident to pay homage to the spirits. Do you want me to just give the name of each one and make it no. like oh. and. Um, and the last one is a group of young women attending a Halloween party in the woods. So it's four different movies. And I really like the tagline for this movie that's on the movie poster. First of all, I love the movie poster. It's really cute and creepy. It's like a little boy with a mask. He's got buttons for eyes. Like a burlap sack. He looks mask. like the scarecrow from Batman <coughs> Begins. And the tagline is, Poison, drowning, claw, or knife. So many ways to take a life. Yeah, so it's The Principal, The School Bus Massacre Revisited, Surprise Party, and Sam. I've been wanting to see this movie for a long time. I'm very excited for this movie. Yeah, I can see why the book says 2009. Like, it originally premiered in 2007, but it had it never got a wide release. We just played at festivals for the next two years until it finally got a distribution on DVD. I don't know why it took so long, but anyway. It's a rated R yeah, it's a rated R in the Americas. Oh. Like in Canada, it's That's different. Like PG-13. In, well, it's different. In Canada, each province does its own rating. In, oh. in America, they have the MPAA who assigns a rating. So a lot of rated R movies in the United States get 14A in Canada, depending on why it's rated R. Yeah. We don't have the same rules as the MPAA. Sometimes they are 18A, but usually a lot of them are 14A. Yeah, this one would probably be 14A because it's only for horror violence, a little bit of sexuality, nudity, and profanity. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to Unless it's, like, overly sexual, I don't think it gets an R rating for Canada. Yeah. Well, again, like, it's different for each province. For, for what I'm used to seeing right. in Alberta. I was going to look up what the Canadian rating of it is in Alberta, but I don't know how to do that, so I'm not going to bother. Oh, okay. So anyway, so you look forward to a whole month of Halloween fun with Joy and Nicole. That's right. We're going to watch some movies that are bad, maybe some movies that are good. I don't know, because I'm having a hard time thinking of any good ones that aren't obvious. Well, look through this book that you bought me. Yeah, is there a whole section on Halloween movies? No. Right, so... But but there's more I than... I have the internet. There's some good ones for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> There are some really good... December's going to be fun because there's a this lot one? of awesome... Don't don't say the names. Oh. There's a lot of really awesome um, Christmas-themed horror movies that we're totally going to watch. So, so come cool. Come December. Anyway, uh, until next week, I am the creature Joey G. And I'm the bride, Nicole G. Y'all stay scary now. Kissy, kissy. How could...
could this woman ever decide to wed this man?